Welcome to Sunday Schmooze with Rabbi Mendy Kievman from the Chabad House Jewish Community Center on Cedar Street in Milford. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a stimulating discussion of news and humor from a Jewish perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Rabbi Mendy. Shavua Tov, Agutavach. Welcome to Sunday Schmooze with Rabbi Mendy. If you're listening to us today, that means that you got my email and you figured out how to get on to be able to hear us. You know, up until last week, for almost a complete two whole years, we were doing our Sunday schmooze on the radio, on MyFM, as well as online. And this week, for the first time, we're doing it online, and I'm hoping that this works out well, and if it does, we'll continue doing it the way we're doing it today. If it doesn't, then by next week, we'll have to come up with a new idea. I'm very thankful that after my announcement last week that we weren't gonna be on the radio, a number of people stood up to the plate and said, Rabbi, we're here to help you get this thing off the road, even though it's off the radio. And believe it or not, a few people even came forward to become uh, sponsors, donors to the show. Which reminds me, if you'd like to keep this show going, if you're enjoying it, and I hope you are, feel free to make a no-obligation contribution of any amount, weekly, monthly, for the year, whatever it is. Every little bit counts, and we really appreciate it. Let's begin today with the recitation of Shema. If you have a yarmulke, please put it on your head, or cover your head with your left hand, and take your right hand, cover your eyes. All together, let's say, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuso Leolam Vaed. And now, if you have a drink, your coffee, your tea, or anything, please hold it in your hand and let's say the bracha Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Shehakol Nihia Bidvaro. And now is the time to make our day and indeed our week more charitable. Grab a coin 
If you have a pushka in the house, that's the best. You can use a pushka and we can drop a coin in the pushka. If you don't have a pushka, just grab a cup of some sort and let's put a couple of coins or a coin into the pushka. There we go. You know, a friend of mine recently told me, he's, he's a guy who runs this great organization which does uh, all sorts of goodness. And he was venting his frustration to me. And he said, and I'm telling you, he's a talented guy. He's capable. He's energetic. And he has a lot of amazing ideas. They're constantly floating around his head. He comes up with ideas all the time. But he said to me, he simply can't break out of the routine that he has, the daily routine of managing his organization, to actually get those things done. Which got me thinking about the infinite amount of amazing ideas that never happen simply because reality dictates that we don't have the time or the money or the headspace or the emotional energy to succeed. In the Parsha that we read in Shul yesterday, the portion of Shemos, that's the first portion in the book of Exodus, we learn about how Pharaoh made a decree against the Jewish people that all their newborn Jewish baby boys had to be thrown into the Nile River. You know why he made that decree? Because his stargazers told him that a Jewish boy is going to be born and that Jewish boy is going to redeem the Jews from their slavery. So he said, okay, we're going to have all the Jewish boys thrown into the Nile River. Everyone was afraid. When they heard that rule, they said, okay, it's, we, 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 we shouldn't get married, we shouldn't have kids. But there was a young five-year-old girl. Her name was Miriam. And she prophesied to her father and her mother, Amram and Yecheved, that if they would not discourage their fellow Jews from having children, the next child born in their family would be this promised Redeemer. Long story short, Moshe was born, and after he was born, his, the question of his survival was a big one. It lay in the balance because the Egyptians were tracking. You know, we talked about tra uh, tracing last week, but the Egyptians were literally tracking down all the babies that were born. They saw women who were pregnant, waited the right amount of months, and then went to the homes, find the babies to drown them. So Yocheved hid baby Moshe. And when she couldn't hide him any longer, the mother took a basket and converted it into a, a floating device. And then she put the baby into this basket and put the basket to float on the Nile River. And then she hoped and prayed that God will take care of the baby. Obviously, she hoped for the best. Now, well aware that the future of Judaism hung in the balance and that the destined Redeemer was floating aimlessly in the water, vulnerable, defenseless. His sister Miriam hid just near the river. 
Her plan was to see what was going to happen to her brother. She knew that it was going to be good. She just wanted to see how that was going to play itself out. And indeed, you know the story. Okay, maybe you don't, so I'm going to tell it to you now. Pharaoh's daughter, whose name was Batya, came to the river to bathe. And she notices this basket far away in the Nile River. And she heard the baby's cry. It was obvious to her, a baby floating in a basket. Good chance it was one of those Jewish babies. And she knew the baby was in danger. But the baby and the basket was way too far for her to be able to rescue the basket and the baby on her own. And as she stood there, the basket was obviously drifting further and further away. To tell you the truth, Batya had every reason to give up her ideas of rescuing, what we might call it the rescue operation. I mean, forgetting everything else. If she were to save this baby, she'd obviously incur her father's wrath because she's disobeying his decree. It's because of him that the babies were being drowned in the first place. But besides that, besides the fact that she had to think about what she's going to do with this baby once she rescues her, the baby, physics simply dictated that she couldn't save the baby because the basket was way too far floating down the river. And being that she didn't have anyone that she could have said, get in a speedboat and go over there, all options seemed doomed. They were seen that they were going to fail no matter what she tried to do. But nevertheless, the Torah portion we read yesterday tells us, Batishlach es Amosa. She stretched out her hand towards the basket. And miraculously, her arm continued to stretch an enormous distance, way longer than it was before. And it reached the basket. And then, as she brought the basket with the baby Moshe back to her, her arm um, contracted back to its original size. She held the basket with the baby, and now the baby was safe and sound. The future redeemer of the Jewish people had just been saved. Simply put, the exodus from Egypt, Passover, the matzah, the seder, the bitter herbs, the four cups of wine, everything we do, in the, you, know, the, you know, Passover is the most attended Jewish function of the year. Did you know that? The most attended Jewish function, some people thought it was Hanukkah, some people thought it was Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. It happens to be Passover Seder is the most attended. And all of that, the Exodus, and everything that comes out of the Exodus, only happened because Batya had the courage to stretch out her hand. 
even when it made no sense. Yes, a miracle happened. But she didn't expect the miracle to happen. She stretched out her hand to save a crying baby. The lesson to us is obvious. The next time you feel an urge, you feel compelled to do something good, but the facts on the ground tell you it cannot be done. It's simply impossible. You don't have the money, you don't have the time, you don't have the headspace, you don't have the resources, it can't be done. Remember, be like Batya and courageously stretch out your hand. Just do all that you can do. Do it in the proper way, in the, most poss- the best way possible, in the direction that you need to do it, and God will take care of the rest. You may not be able to save everybody, but you can save one person. And who knows if that one person you save is the one that's going to redeem and save millions of people later on. You may not be able to give away you know, millions of dollars to charity, but you can give more than you're comfortable giving. You can give, instead of a dollar, you can give 10% of what you're earning, even 20% of your earnings. You can do it. You may not change the whole world immediately, but if you do it, you reach out in that direction, God will help it work. You may not be able to put on tefillin every day, but you could do it once a week. You may not be able to light Shabbos candles every single week, but you could do it this coming Friday. There's always something you could do in the direction, in the correct direction, and God will take care of the rest. But most importantly, we need to realize that the one mitzvah that you do today most probably will be the one mitzvah to tip the scales and bring redemption to the entire world when peace and tranquility will reign for all. And if it doesn't make sense to you, learn from Batya. Be like Batya. Or as Eighth Day says, just like you. Enjoy. the world to see a sage He lived like such a poor man in this day and age I said where's your leather couches where's your golden chandelier where's your walk-in closet for all the stuff you could wear well all you got's that suitcase my friend ain't that true I said, yeah, but you know that I'm just passing through. And that's when he said, I'm just like you. I'm just passing through, just like you. My heart wants to feel something that's real. And my mind hopes to find treasures of another kind. And if you had my eyes, you'd see 
Last week, I mentioned that the past Friday, it was last Sunday, I mentioned about this past Friday, which was the 24th day in the month of Teves, which is the yard site of the Alter Rebbe. I have a great recording I'm going to play for you in a moment about the last few months of the Alter Rebbe's life. Um, it tells the story about how during that time there was a war between Napoleon, who wanted to take over the world and bring mo- moderna- modernization, Peter, tell me if I said that correctly, to the world. He wanted to modernize the world. And on the other side, you had the Tsar, the Russian Tsar, who was fighting back. And within the Jewish community, there was a huge debate because if, if Napoleon wins, then the Jews will have an easier time to live physically. But along with that, Napoleon was very much open to being anti-religious, officially you know, open-minded, anyone could do whatever they want. But you know what happens? Uh, when, th- when that happens, people tend to drop religion when it becomes uncool. You know, they say, too cool for school. 
On the other hand, the czar, living under the czar, you didn't have all the riches you may have wanted, but Jews were sticking stronger to the Yiddishkeit. And there was a big debate between the great Torah sages. Many of them wanted Napoleon to win, and some wanted the Tsar to win. And the Altrebbe was one of those people who wanted the Tsar to win. And he actually sent spies, some of his Hasidim, to be spies to help the Tsar. And Napoleon knew about it, and Napoleon wanted to get him. And indeed, Napoleon chased him, and he left his home. He ran away, and he um, ended up running. And during the winter, uh, with the ill health that he had, he passed away. So, uh, just a couple of things about the Altareb before I play this recording. His name was Schneer Zalman. That's the same name as our son Schneer Zalman, Zalmi. Some of you know him as Zalmi, uh, who was born on the same day as the birthday of the Alter Rebbe. Schneor, the first name of the Alter Rebbe, if you break up the word, it, it spells, it, it comes out to Schnei or two lights. Indeed, the Baal Shem Tov, the, the first, the founder of the Hasidic movement, spoke about the Alter Rebbe when he was a young toddler and said that he is going to be the person that's going to illuminate two lights. What he meant was, in Torah, there are two basic categories of the Torah. There's the revealed Torah, the parts of Torah that we always knew since God gave it to us on Mount Sinai. That includes the Bible and the Tanakh and um, the uh, Talmud, the Mishnah, those are all the code of Jewish law. Those are all the revealed parts of the Torah. And then there's the hidden parts, or also known as the esoteric parts, or Kabbalistic parts, those are the parts, like the Kabbalah itself, that were not taught to the masses. They were just taught student to, uh, to te- teacher to student, one-on-one, never to the masses. But starting with the Baal Shem Tov, they started teaching these Kabbalistic teachings known as Hasidus to the masses, and the al Rebbe took it to heights that it's never been before. And indeed, the al Rebbe published a Shulchan Aruch, a code of Jewish law, which expounded and expanded the original code of Jewish law with explanations to the laws of the Torah, which is the revealed parts of the Torah. And that's a a, a set of books that people study till today to know the laws of the Torah. And he also wrote the book of the Tanya, which is the most important, um, the most seminal work of the Hasidic, the early Hasidic movement, and again, a very, very important um, book that's used by everyone uh, today to bring light into our lives spiritually and materially. The Alter Rebbe was known as the Alter Rebbe because he was the first Chabad Rebbe. He founded the Chabad movement, which was. Uh, um, based on the premise that through intellectual comprehension we can affect our emotions and our actions. And the word Chabad, as you may have heard me say on our show in the past, is an acronym for three words in Hebrew. Chachma, Bina, and Das. The Ches is for Chachma, the Bez is for Bina, and Das is for um, 
the Dalit is for Das. The three stages of the intellectual process. Because he was of the belief that all of the Kabbalistic teachings have to come down into the simple understanding of uh, the human mind. As I said, he wrote the Tanya, which was published in 1796. And in the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe describes the qualities of the Jewish soul and provides practical tips for maintaining inspiration, dealing with things like depression, and remaining focused, energized, and aware of our purpose, our divine purpose. Now, you may have heard the term Alter from me. You know, um, you may have heard that word. Here's the Yiddish word for the day brought to you by Kate's Financial Services. Alter means old. Old is not a bad thing. Old is actually a very good thing. Someone who's old, seasoned, um, mature, and has loads of experience. The Alt Rebbe was known as the Old Rebbe because when he passed away, he was the founder of Hasidism and he passed away. And the next Rebbe, his son, became the Mittal Rebbe. And therefore, he was the Old Rebbe. And it stuck with him as being his name. In Hebrew, they may refer to him as Admar Azakin. But there's other names for him as well. Some people refer to him as the Balatanya or the Shulchan Aruch because he was the one who um, 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 authored the Tanya and the Shulchan Aruch. Some refer to him as the Rav, the simple as the Rabbi. And that's again, the Code of Jewish Law is a book that's studied by everyone and they refer to him as the Rav as the one who taught them uh, these uh, laws. One of the things he did, besides teaching Torah, was he wanted to stabilize Jewish life materially. In fact, in a video that was in our e- my email on Friday, I posted a story that the Rebbe told over, that when he got married, he married one of the richest Jews living at that time. And at that time, the, the father-in-law, the, the father of the girl, would give a naden. Here's a, a Hebrew word for the day. Uh, brought to you by the Armenians. Nadin is a dowry. He would give a Nadin to his son-in-law, and that's what he would live on, or at least for a, a short period of time. The Altarebbe said, obviously the Nadin would have been a huge sum of money, and the Altarebbe said, I don't want any of it. I want you to use that to help Jews settle in different communities and build businesses. Because to him, it was very important that Jews should have a livelihood. And in fact, he founded one of the oldest Jewish charities in the world. It's known as Kolel Chabad. Because in 1777, a group of Hasidim, led by the famous Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Haradak, moved to the Holy Land. I think originally they moved to Tzfat, or maybe to Tiberias. But the Al-Tarebbe took it upon himself that he's going to support them. Obviously, they didn't have money in Israel. He was going to support them. And while he remained in Europe, he collected money and sent it there. Until today, Kolo Chabad raises money and has soup kitchens and amazing programs for children who lost their parents to war in Israel, to um, children who who, who were hurt or lost parents to terrorism. They help them. In fact... In my own home, I have a, a pushka, which I just used today for the tzedakah. I have a pushka for the Kol Chabad because it's such an amazing program. When Rahi ran the women's trip to Israel, 
they went to the soup kitchen to pack foods that were later delivered uh, to people, poor people in Israel. So he started that in 1777, and it's a charity that's still going on till today. So here, I want you to hear the story about uh, his running away from Napoleon. Enjoy. Ah, guten In 1812, Napoleon's Grand Armée invaded Russia with a self-proclaimed liberator's aim to bring the whole of Europe under his control. At the round that time, Rabbi Shnir of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe, wrote to one of his Talmidim the following. If base will be victorious, base was a first letter, a code name for Bonaparte, Napoleon, Jewish wealth will increase and the prestige of the Jewish people will be raised, but their hearts will be far away from their Father in Heaven. But if Aleph will be victorious, Aleph standing for Alexander, the Tsar Alexander of Russia, although Israel's poverty will increase and their prestige may be lowered, but their hearts will be joined and unified with their Father in Heaven. And this will be your sign. In the near time, the apple of your eyes will be taken from you. This was a famed and raging dispute, mainly between the Altareb of the Balatanya and others, but the, mainly, the main opponent was Reb Mendel of Rimenov. Both of them, great Sadikim, Tamidim the Bazar Shemagid, but the debate was who should be the one to win, who would be better for the hidden, the Tsar of Russia or Napoleon. Remendler felt that although there was the threat of assimilation under Napoleon, but the Jews suffered tremendously under the Russian Tsar, and he felt it was time to live under the freedom of rights that Napoleon's win offered. Although Napoleon ultimately lost, Remendler's curse came true in later years when the Tsar's entire family was savagely wiped out. The Chosid to whom this letter was addressed was of Moshe Meislish of Vilna, who was no mere bystander to these events. At Rebishner Zaman's behest, Rav Moshe served as a spy for the Russians, passing on information he picked up in the French general command, where he worked as an interpreter to the Tsar's generals. When Napoleon's advancing armies approached Rebishner Zaman's hometown of Liadi, the Rebbe was forced to flee. The Rebbe left Liadi with 60 wagons, carrying his extended family and many of his chassidim, escorted by a troop of soldiers attached by the co- to the convoy by express order of the Tsar. For more than five months, as Napoleon advanced across Russia, took Moscow, and then embarked on his disastrous retreat, the Rebbe's entourage wandered from town to town and from village to village, only narrowing, avoiding the swath of carnage cut by the French army as it moved through the country. The Rebbe rode in the third wagon. In the first wagon sat his grandson, Rav Nachum, with two military officers. Whenever they arrived at the crossroads, the entire procession would halt, while Rav Nachum walked to the third wagon to ask Rebbe Shnezaman which way to proceed. At times, his grandfather, the Rebbe would reply without moving from his seat. Other times, he would walk to the crossroads 
lean on his staff and meditate for a while before issuing his directive. On one occasion, Rav Nochem made a mistake in his understanding of the Rebbe's instruction and the convoy took the wrong turn. When the error was revealed, Rav Shnezaman instructed that they should continue along the road already taken, but he said with some regret in his voice how fortunate it is when the grandson follows the Zayda, the grandfather. How unfortunate it is when the grandfather must follow the lead of the grandson. Many trials and tribulations followed that wrong turn in the road, culminating in their arrival in the town of Piena. The rubber's convoy arrived in Piena in the dead of winter, on the eighth day of Tavis, 5573-1812. Piena was a good-sized town, consisting of some 300 large houses and courtyards, many of which were empty as the men were away at war. But the generous townspeople provided, provided housing and kindling free of charge to the refugees. Ten days later, the Rebbe fell ill, and it was on the 24th of Tavis, Motza Shabbos, following the Shabbos of Parsha Shemais, at 10.30 in the evening, after reciting the Havdolah, marking the close of the Shabbos, that the Alt Rebbe returned his holy neshama to its creator. This next thought falls under the category of going from the crazy to the insane. On Shabbos, I talked a little bit about this. You know, they say comedians first will try out their uh, show at a smaller venue, and then if they see it goes well, then they take it you know, to Broadway or whatever. So uh, on Shabbos and Shul, oftentimes, I'll talk about something that's on my mind that I want to talk about on the Sunday schmooze. You know, the, the, the audience at Shul on Shabbos by the Kiddush is a very warm audience. Our community members are such warm people, and it's always good to talk about my thoughts, and um, everyone is very... Uh, friendly about it. Even if I don't say the best thing, you know, the, the crowd is usually nice to me. I once told the joke about a guy who goes to horse betting and he shows up and he sees there's a rabbi you know, with his black hat and his long beard also there at the betting. And this rabbi goes over to a horse stands next to the horse and he sees him saying a prayer and lo and behold that horse on that race comes in first he goes ah this rabbi's onto something he prays he gives a blessing to this horse and the horse wins so comes the next race and this gentile sees the rabbi again and sees which horse he gives a prayer and now he goes and bets on that horse, you know, 10 bucks. And then the next race, the rabbi says a prayer on a horse. And again, he bets on that horse, now 20 bucks. And each time, at each race, he watches the rabbi. The rabbi says the prayer. He goes and bets. And finally, it's the last race of the day. He made some good money over the course of the day. And he sees the rabbi going over to a horse. He does his usual prayer, 
And immediately, he takes all his money, the money he brought, plus the money he gained and earned during that day, and he put it down on that horse. And as you guessed it, that horse came in dead last. That's right, dead last. It was the last horse. It it wasn't even close to winning. And this guy goes over to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, I've been watching you all day. You've been doing these prayers, and, 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 and the horse wins. So I took all my money, and I put it on this horse. I saw the last race that I thought for sure was going to win. And it came in last. And the rabbi says, my friend, that's the problem. You don't go to shul. Because if you went to shul, you would know there's a huge difference between a kiddish and a kaddish. You know, the world is shaking it's trembling. There's a pandemic which is all over the place. There's a corner in the world that hasn't been affected by the pandemic. No country, no doctor, no scientist, and certainly no politician has any solution how to manage the crisis and restore our lives to some form of normalcy. Obviously, there's progress. We now have the vaccine, and we're very grateful and hopeful that these will eventually bring us some relief from this upheaval. But it's slow. It's like watching pain dry. The pace that it's taking for any um, true change, true effect from whatever they've been trying. It's not only the pandemic that's, you know, making our lives completely crazy. Politics has forever been a cesspool of corruption. It's been a cesspool of incompetence. And that's not just this last week. That's like that since the dawn of time. But in recent years and in in recent months, it seems to have gone up, you know, from first gear to fifth gear. Everywhere it's like that, but especially in Washington. Today I'm going to focus on one of the strangest, wackiest moments that I can remember in recent history politics. It took place this this past week. And the video was sure to fly all over the place very, very quickly. Anyone who knows anything and saw this video was banging their head saying, What? What did did I just see? Yeah, you're asking me what I'm talking about. So obviously, if you weren't there Shabbos, you may not know what I'm talking about. Although it was in the news. Not in all the news, but it was in the news. So you know how they have a prayer which is recited at the opening before the proceedings in Congress. It's not just in Congress. They have it in the State House. They have it at various different memorials. There's an opening prayer. And it's either recited by a rabbi or some member of the clergy or, as with this case, was recited by a congressman himself who happens to be a minister. 
As with most of these prayers, it concluded with the word in English, Amen. Amen. You guys, I'm sure, remember our amazing producer, Craig, would often, after I would say the blessing on the water or whatever I was drinking, would answer, Amen. And then I taught him that the real word is a Hebrew word for Amen. Just translate into Amen. But this politician, who I said was a minister, finished off with the blessing and let us say, Amen and a woman. He was going to show that he's unshaken in his crusade for gender equality and political correctness. But while he was doing that, he exposed his complete and utter ignorance of at least the English language. It was insane, ridiculous. In fact, if I was there, I'd simply be embarrassed to be there. It's coming from a lawmaker, a guy who's an ordained minister. And obviously, in this age of memes, within minutes, the mockery and ridicule was all over the place. Any word in the English language with the letters men or man, you know, think of the word fundamental or human, there was always they added the two letters W-O inserted into it to make it woman. So which obviously gave us a good moment to laugh. Um, and the better the creative imagination, the better the laugh was. And we can use some laughing. So maybe this congressman really wanted to give us some uh, laughter. But it's not a joke. Not in English, nor in any language. When the meaning of a word is changed because of ignorance, it has consequences. Almost since the beginning of time, at Mount Sinai, when the Jewish people received the Torah, there have been people who attempted to corrupt Jewish law due simply to misunderstandings caused by tiny changes in pronunciation. And being that the Torah doesn't have vowels in it, the Torah scroll, if you misread a word, you can completely change the meaning and then change the translation. And all of a sudden, you have a whole new religion. And oftentimes, the biggest mistakes come from simply misreading and mistranslating words in the Torah. The word Amen is of course gender neutral. It's not an English word. As I said before, it's borrowed from the Hebrew, Amen. Not just any Hebrew word, but one of the most important and most respected words that we have in the Hebrew language. A word that carries significance and in certain circumstances even has legal force. As I talked about on Shabbos yesterday, the word Amen is roughly translated, bracha, gave a good translation, like, so may it be. And it's actually much more than that. It articulates the belief that whatever preceded the word Amen 
Whatever preceded the announcement, the pronouncement, Amen, is something with which the listener fundamentally agrees. It's when you consent to something, when someone shares something and you consent to it, you say Amen. It could be an oath. If someone administers an oath on behalf of another person, the moment that the other person says the word Amen, he becomes bound by that obligation. There's no going back. He's locked into the commitment. So if somebody says, I swear that you're not going to eat bananas for the next 30 days, and the person answers, Amen, he can't eat bananas for the next 30 days. That's the power of the word Amen. All those millennia ago, when our ancestors first entered into the promised land of Israel, they were instructed to perform this very special ceremony where they, they had these 12 blessings and curses were proclaimed out loud, demanding that we should live upright and moral lives. And each time, as the Kohens would say, one of the blessings or the curses, blessed be you if you're going to do this, cursed be you if you're going to do that, each time the people, the Jewish people, emphatically recited and called out, Amen, as each warning was read out, and as each blessing was read out. And that, Amen, made it legally binding on the Jewish people forever. When the Kohens, this Shabbos, we had four Kohens in Shul. You know, sometimes we have one. When we're lucky, we get two. This Shabbos, we had four Kohens. We still don't have a Levi yet coming Shabbos. And if you're a Levi, maybe you want to think about starting to come to Shul. But when a, the Kohens go up on Yom Tif, and they bless us, what do we answer after each of the blessings? Amen. We fully accept the divine blessing. Whenever... Someone gives you a blessing. And anyone, it doesn't matter who that person is. The correct response is Amen. Oftentimes I'll tell you, say to somebody, you know, um, you, should, you should get better, you should live to 120. And they're like, oh, if only. And I say, no, no, no. The answer is Amen. Yes, it will be. I agree. This is true. That's the correct response when someone gives you a blessing. That's the power of Amen. Of course, anyone who goes to Shul knows how important Amen is and how special it is during our prayers, especially when the, the leader of the service, the Chazin, repeats the Amidah, and after each of the blessings, praising God, we say Amen. We're concurring that the praise being said by the Chazin by the leader, we agree with it. And we do that by saying Amen. Then of course, like I said earlier, there's a Kaddish. Kaddish, when someone is mourning a loved one, they say Kaddish. And that's the ultimate praise of God. And again, throughout the Kaddish, time and time again, what's the response? Amen. Or in English, Amen. The famous great rabbi, Rabbi Mordechai Jaffe, known as the Lavush, wrote a fiery book about how important it is and the power and potency of Amin. And he demanded from all of his followers and all of his descendants to be extremely careful and aware and mindful to always answer Amin and answer it correctly. 
His hope was that the masses would also take what he felt, take it to heart, and they would give special priority and attention to making sure they answer Amen correctly. Around the world, communal prayer has been disrupted in one way or another over this past 10 months. Remember there was a time when shuls closed down? Guess what? In many countries, it's happening again now. Israel, England. So communal prayer, even in the places where it's reopened, as we have here in Shul, in, 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 in Chabad, still, it's been curtailed one way or the other. And the truth is, as we all know and feel already, com- the communal experience is very special to us. It's, it gives a beautiful... Obviously, we do Judaism at home. And in the last 10 months, we've learned how to do a lot more Judaism at home. And home is the most important place. But you can't discount the beauty and specialness, I don't even know if that's a word, of communal prayer. When we get together in shul, and those opportunities, when we get to scream out loud, Amen, loud and clear. However... There are also many opportunities when we can answer Amen in the privacy of our home, at our workplace, and that's when you hear someone else saying a bracha. So obviously we say blessings during the service, but we also say a blessing when we eat food, as we do here on the, on the uh, shmooze each week. We make a blessing on uh, the food we eat, the drink we drink. So when you hear that blessing, you have a chance to say Amen. And also, when you say a blessing, before you say the blessing, remind all those around you that when you're finished, they have the opportunity to say Amen. It's an obligation. It's the right thing to do. And it has tremendous rewards. Let's not squander the opportunity we have to learn from this amazing congressman how important it is to say Amen, to know what it means, and to realize its potency and power. The next time you hear Kaddish being recited, listen carefully and answer Amen with all your heart. And that will give extreme nachas to God when He hears the praise being recited, along with the sounds of those affirming that praise by saying Amen, and not following it by uh, anything. In a week, when a politician showed his ignorance, let's not be caught out. Let's be prepared and let's answer amen. May God bless us with all we need in happiness, health, and peace. And let's say amen. Yeah, 
Did you know the new season of Torah Studies, the special weekly discussion on a topic from the Torah portion of that week, is beginning this coming Thursday, January 14th, is the first class of the new season of Torah Studies. This week's title is Line in the Sand. When do you pass that line? And when don't you pass that line? Every single week, we get together on Thursday evenings, starting at 7.30. We do it over Zoom, and there's no charge to join us. So I suggest you go to our website, gotchabad.com. That's G-O-T-C-H-A-B-A-D.com. And sign up for our Torah studies class. And while you're on our website... There's two other programs I want to mention again. The first one is the Freedom Mezuzah Project, which, you know what? Whenever Jews are going through trouble, one of the most important things for every Jewish home to have is a kosher mezuzah. In fact, it's a mitzvah to have it on every door in our houses to have a kosher mezuzah. And if you have mezuzahs up already, it's important to have them checked from time to time. And now, with the Freedom Mezuzah Project, you can get one free mezuzah for your house. It's an amazing project. I appreciate uh, Dr. Lach and all those who have taken part in donating towards this project. We want to make sure that every Jewish home has at least one mezuzah, a kosher one, a good one. Then, obviously, you're welcome to buy more mezuzahs, and free of charge, we will come to your house and put the mezuzah up for you. As long as you live in the greater Milford area, within about half hour from Chabad, we will come and put it up for you free of charge. All you got to do is go to our website, gotchabad.com. Again, G-O-T-C-H-A-B-A-D.com. And go to the banner for Mezuzah It Forward so that you can get a mezuzah for yourself or... Get a mezuzah for a loved one. Someone you know doesn't have a mezuzah yet? As long as they're Jewish, this project is for you. And lastly, we started a really amazing program. Rachi launched it three weeks ago. Chabad Kirs, Community Assistance Relief Effort. Adopt a friend. It's your opportunity to be able to make a meaningful contribution to someone in the community, and it doesn't even cost you any money. You reach out to Rachi. If you want to reach out to Rachi, go to R-O-C-H-Y, Rachi, at gotchabad.com, and email her. And she will set you up with a friend, someone in the community who can use either a phone call or drop off a challah, or send a card, whatever it is, just to make a meaningful connection every single week. It's easy, it's free of charge, and you can make an amazing impact in someone's life. So again, reach out to Rachi so you can join the Chabad Cares program so that we can make sure that during this pandemic, no one feels forgotten. Everyone should be connected with, and you can make it happen. And this past week, we already had a number of people who started their 
connections and I already got two phone calls before Shabbos telling me how amazing it was to get a phone call and to get a challah and you don't have to even make the challah. Rachi will make the challah and give it to you. So, what's the place you got to go to? One website. GotChabad.com G-O-T-C-H-A-B-A-D.com And over there, you can sign up for our new class. You can sign up to get yourself or a mezuzah for someone else or to donate towards this project. And lastly, you can sign up or register to join Chabad Cares. It's our way to stretch out your arm. You know, earlier in the show, we talked about Batya putting out her arm to save Moses. You want to be able to stretch out your arm. You can't do everything, but you shouldn't do nothing. So stretch out your arm, reach out, join Chabad Cares, and make an amazing difference in at least one person's life. And who knows? That may bring salvation to the entire world. Ladies and gentlemen, I thank you so much for joining me. And remember, your next deed will change the world. So make it a good one. Lechayim! You've been listening to Sunday Schmooze with Rabbi Mendy Kievman from the Chabad House Jewish Community Center on Cedar Street in Milford. For more information on the Chabad House, including upcoming events, adult programs, Hebrew school, and more, visit gotchabad.com. That's G-O-T-C-H-A-B-A-D.com. Shalom.